We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. From the capital of the South, this is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino. I have the extreme privilege of being your host for this broadcast. I do not do it alone, but at least this week, D2, I do get a chance to do it to return. But it is good to see you and thank you so much, my friend, for taking over those hosting duties last episode. Good to see you too and glad to have you back. It is not easy being a host. Well, that may or may not be true. It is fun and certainly with the audience we have, we get to do it for a fun group of people and they encourage and inspire us every single word. One thing that I will say, heck, it's oftentimes not done as much as it should be and that is just to share what goes on with us. You were kind enough to pick up those duties. I recently lost my mom. She passed away, certainly was out of town to be with her and ultimately do what all too many of our listeners know need to be done when losing a parent. Mom, this broadcast is for you, certainly for all of you who have a cherished relationship with your own parents. Give them a hug as soon as you can. Time is certainly fleeting. It's not just our pace out there on those training runs that goes way too fast. So thanks again for allowing me that time. And at the same time, you said it earlier, man, it is good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, we pull together as a team and, you know, you had to do what you had to do and be with your family and would not expect anything else. And, and you know, for me, even though, like I said, it's not easy being a host, but it is a challenge. And that's one of the things that whether we're training, whether we're going to a new race, whether it's a life experience, anything else, taking over you know hosting duties is a challenge it's a challenge for me it's not something i'm comfortable doing but it's something that sometimes we just got to step up and we got to do what's right and 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 just see where, where it takes us indeed well you did a great job and certainly one of the things that has been very rewarding as i have come back to town has been the way it's just been so obvious that our team just steps in and we are all in this together. That's been really, really cool. Certainly a thank you to the entire Big Peach Running Company organization for so much, but in my case right now, very specifically for allowing me that time and perhaps even some time in the months ahead. But what we're going to do today is actually bring a team member of ours onto the set. This is something that you and I have been looking forward to for a long, long time. Our featured conversation, none other than Joe Gibson. For those of you who have heard that name, it may very well be because of his present responsibilities as our director of procurement and footwear, or it may be you remember Joe from some very elite running days. Quick background on Joe. He started out at Brevard College. What an awesome regional running power that is. Ultimately transferred to Clemson where he ran for the Tigers, the biggest Clemson fan I know, graduated (laughs) from Clemson, then ended up as part of the Hanson's Distance Project. That is a phrase that many of you who follow elite running are very well aware of. That is an Olympic development program in Michigan actually pairs the training with some specialty run stores they have in and around that part of Michigan. That's where Joe was first exposed to the wild, wonderful world 
of retail, worked for Hanson's, ran for Hanson's for a couple of years, ultimately made the decision that he wanted to do some coaching, became a collegiate coach at James Madison University, and then just felt pulled back into this industry. We had the good fortune of picking Joe up in 2006. So that tells you how long he's been part of our team and what he has done to ensure that we're not only on the cutting edge, but we are truly leading our industry in terms of having the best selection and doing what's absolutely necessary to be the best at managing our footwear category. He's going to share all kinds of cool information about what's coming up in the world of footwear, what our manufacturer partners are doing now, are likely to be doing in the future, and touch on things that you should just simply know about or be sharing so that all of us are truly in the most appropriate, most comfortable, most cool running shoes at all times. Yeah, I mean, as you know, for someone that has, like myself, who hasn't been in the organization as, as long as Joe has, he certainly has been a resource as you know, when I was starting out as a guest advocate, all the way up to a GM and continues to be just because of his knowledge of just, you know, running numbers and getting inventory and just being very knowledgeable about the business um, and just, you know, really knowledgeable about footwear. And that's helped me a lot as I was kind of going through and, and still continues even my role, at, you know, in, in marketing. Sure. Well, he's an awesome resource for us internally, but I believe he's also an unbelievable resource for so many, all of our guests, all of our listeners externally. Before we go to a break, one thing I want to let everybody know about on November 13th, D2 and I are going to host a Facebook Live with a former guest or featured conversation from the Run ATL podcast. Mr. Tom Griffin is back. If you need that episode, go to episode number 52. That is 5-2. You'll hear Tom from Tom's Walking Life. He walked all the way across these great lands from one side of the country. He started on the west side, ended up on the east side, and my goodness, did he have so many adventures to share, stories to tell, and what we're doing November 12th through the 14th. And I love this expression. Do we want our guests or those who lean into our business, we have the good fortune of serving. Some might say your constituents. Do you want them drinking from a cool rushing stream or do you want them to have to pull their nourishment from a warm stagnant pond? And the answer of course for all of us is man, bring on that cool rushing stream. And so we are spending November 12th through the 15th in Blue Ridge, Georgia as a leadership team. We are also going to be joined by 13 of our most important supplier or vendor partners, brands like Brooks and Asics and Saucony and Superfeet, and I could go on and on and on. But why we want you to know about this is we are doing that. We are gathering and spending that time out of market so that we can continuously get better as individuals and certainly as an organization, and we can bring all of the cool ideas that are discussed put them into motion and make sure that they benefit this marketplace by the time we get to 2020. That's the purpose. But in the morning of November 13th, Wednesday, 8.30, a Facebook Live, Tom is going to deliver the keynote that morning. His title, We Walk Together, so true, not just Big Peach Running Company and our supplier partners, but Big Peach Running Company, our supplier partners, and this amazing marketplace that we have the good fortune of serving. So we're going to bring you his keynote live. We're going to share it with you. We wouldn't want to just keep that message to ourselves. So mark your calendars already, D2. It's going to be a special morning. 
Yeah, that's awesome, and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to test out my production skills and doing audio and video and the capabilities of, of that. So uh, exciting. It'll be an exciting week, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, it's one of those uh, weeks that we look forward to because we get to hang out together as a, as a team, not something we get to do quite that often. That is true. That's the only challenge when you've got multiple locations. A lot of people who have a great team, but they're all in the same office. They don't understand sometimes how disappointing it is not to have these people you enjoy working with all in the same place at the same time. But this is one of those instances, to your point, that we get to do just that. We're also going to be back very, very quickly after this brief message. Like we said, Mr. Joe Gibson takes the mic. So much for all of us to learn together, and we'll do it in just 30 seconds. You've got the right shoe for you, but maybe you're still getting blisters and your feet aren't too happy. The source of your discomfort may be the socks you're wearing. Cotton is rotten. You need socks made from synthetic materials that wick away the moisture that can lead to blisters. Big Peach Running Company carries a variety of styles and brands, including Features, Balega, Swiftwick, and Njinji. Every sock is buy three, get one free. Mix and match brands and styles, it doesn't matter. You'll save 25% when you pick up four pairs of socks. Keep your feet happy and stock up on socks at Big Peach Running Company. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. As we said in our intro, D2 and I get a chance to put one of our colleagues in the hot seat, fire up the mic, and have some fun at the same time. Joe Gibson, our director of footwear, our grand poobah of all things running is here. Jojo, thanks for being part of this, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's uh, I knew it's been a minute, but I knew this day was coming, so... And here we are. Well, and and I will say this, and I elected not to do this in the intro because I did want to be able to do this sitting across the table from you. And that is for those of you who perhaps have not met Joe or maybe have not thought about the way Big Peach Running Company would have to set up its organization, I believe with everything I am the most knowledgeable, best footwear buyer and expert in the industry. And I'm going to say the sporting goods industry, not just specialty run walk, but the sporting goods industry is in our midst. Joe has been doing this for us for over 10 years, watching him work with our supplier partners, watching him interact with both brands, other retailers, and most importantly, those in our stores, both our store teams, as well as our guests. It is a delight to observe. And my opinion is there is no one better, Joe. So seriously, thank you for everything you do, not just for being here today. Thank you, and uh, thank you for setting the bar incredibly low on that introduction. We, yeah, uh, I have I have nothing to live up to. I have no, <laughs> no, uh, no goals, no, uh, no aspirations, no, uh, nothing uh, to prove here. So. Well, I don't know about that. We're gonna keep the pressure on for sure. So let's go ahead and get started. And obviously, and we mentioned this in the intro, the importance of the footwear category to our business. But more importantly, when we think about serving the pedestrian active lifestyle, the importance of footwear to people being able to participate and get the most out of that lifestyle. So critical. I think what we've said before, Cinderella had it right. The right shoe can indeed change your life. And now you spend every single moment of your working life ensuring that Big Peach Running Company has the best selection of footwear, past, present, and future just as a way to set the stage for people to better get to know you, when did your own interest, I mean, really deep interest in running and athletic footwear begin? 
Gosh, that is a great question to uh, start this off. I would have to say my real love affair with footwear began probably sometime when I was in about eighth grade. I, I really enjoyed running uh, as a as a means to uh, kind of prove myself as a as a kid among my peers. Sure. Uh, uh, growing up, traveled to uh, a lot of different schools, moved around to a lot of schools. And so my way of kind of fitting in was always uh, through the vehicle of running. And uh, like every elementary school, you had recess. And a lot of times you started recess running out uh, and doing a lap around the field or doing mm-hmm. two laps. Or I remember one particular location, it was out to the gingerbread house and back. I don't know why we called it the gingerbread house, but I still remember that. But it wasn't until probably about eighth grade that uh, you know, as, as maybe I started to put on a few more pounds, I actually got over 70 pounds at that point, maybe, uh, you know, I think everyone starts to pay attention to their shoes. Cause you're looking at, you know, you're looking at all your peers and, oh man, they got, they've worn two different pair of shoes this week. And it's like, oh, what, you know, what makes those special, you know? Uh, so I think I, my real love affair probably began then. And I remember, uh, probably my first pair of running shoes was either the Pegasus or a uh, shoe called the Gel Saga. So, still from Asics? Gel yeah, still Saga. from Asics, so that correct. That predates me. I remember the Pegasus, of course, and now that we're in 30-plus versions of that from Nike, not surprised that you're referencing that particular model. Yes, and so they. Uh, I, th- I think my love affair with shoes probably began around them because at that point I had started to run track, JV track, in eighth grade, in ninth grade, so uh, you know, was up to varsity. And at that point... Um, you know, what well, you know, I was spending a lot of time on my feet more than more than the average kid. So what was comfortable, what felt good, and of course, you know, what was highly relevant at that age is what looked good. And somewhat fashionable, absolutely. Exactly. Well, and, and that train's never late either. That's still true today. <laughs> no, so true. Well, and, and so many people could say, okay, well, I love running or I love running footwear. So that must mean I could very easily become a world-class buyer and director of footwear at Big Peach Running Company. Of course, that's not true. Now, as we look at your role, what are those elements of your position that you think are just so critical in order for you not just to be successful, but to remain at the top of your game? Well, you know, I, I had a conversation um, with the senior product manager at Brooks Carson yesterday. Uh, I thought I knew I was coming on this podcast. So I said, well, we'll brush up on a few things because one thing I personally, you know, we talked, we started the conversation about my love affair with shoes. And for the longest time, even all through my time as a GM in Marietta, which was up till about eight years ago, my love obsession really was with, um, was with the technology uh, of shoes and um, you know what were what materials were being used, what changes were being made from year to year. Uh, but in my role as director of procurement for footwear over the last eight years, that has kind of that has had to shift more to uh, more numerical data, uh, such as following trends. Right? What's what's selling through faster? What do we have to secure more of what's not selling through as fast how do we minimize that inventory uh to match certain metrics so you know we start you know a lot of people that own small businesses or even larger businesses are familiar with the word turn uh, and that's how fast you turn your inventory so to stay on top of my game uh it's really been um the ability to be reactive to what's happening in the marketplace and uh that's following shoes that are 
uh, that are important to our business and making sure we're staying in stock in those shoes um, because there's a reason for it. There's people coming in asking for it or they're just winning on the floor versus other other competitors that are being pulled out of the stock room. Uh, and then it's a matter of, of minimizing and working with our vendors to say, hey, maybe this color isn't working so well, but we have another color that's working really hot. Can we swap those out? So I think it's important that, that you mention that because for somebody to be like, wow, that'd be a really cool role to have, or man, someday I'd love to be sitting in Joe's seat. He t- attaches not just his personal interest, perhaps even obsession about running footwear, but to that business consideration. And some of the most popular episodes that we've done on the Run ATL podcast, I believe, allow people a chance to kind of see behind the curtain at Big Peach Running Company and things like turn rates and gross margin return on inventory investment and thinking about as we might have mentioned in our intro, you know, we're carrying somewhere between 650 and three quarters of a million dollars in footwear inventory alone. And for a business our size, that's no joke. We need to manage that investment really, really well. And Joe, of course, does that for us in such expert fashion. So now we say, okay, there's this business acumen that you have. You've paired it with this personal interest in footwear. But like you said, The marketplace is going to speak into what we need to do, to what ultimately we need to decide and put into motion. What is the marketplace right now as we kind of come through the fourth quarter of 2019, as we peer over the bow into 2020, what is the marketplace telling us in the world of running footwear? I would start with comfort. Uh, More than ever, people want to be comfortable in their shoes. That is, and that's, I think that's always been proven. Um, but that I think there's secondary uh, wants or needs that come along with that guest when they walk through the door. Uh, maybe they're looking for performance. Uh, if you go back a couple years, it was about uh, they want comfort, but they want the shoes to be minimal, a la a vibing, for, you know, five fingers. Uh, you know, a couple years later, it's you know they want uh, they want comfort, but they also want maximum protection say they read a story about Hoka online, right? Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they have bad knees or uh, they haven't been able to walk or run. So I, I think there's always secondary and tertiary uh, wants and needs. I really think it starts with comfort, but I think that percentage of that want or need has grown. And I think more so than ever, people just really want to be comfortable in their own shoes. And you would give them the license to let that be their primary consideration, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Because I, I think the conversations has shifted more the last 10 years has, has shifted away from biomechanics leading the decision, whether you, uh, whether you stay in a pronated state for an extended period of time or whether your foot is quote unquote neutral. Uh, that used to be, I think the lead goal, whereas, you know, Hey, as soon as you walk in, you go through our fit process. A lot of times it was, I think we're a little more regimented to say, Hey, you know, you test out neutral, we're going to keep you neutral no matter, well, I wouldn't say no matter what, but I think we're certainly more open to, uh, I think the people saying, you know what, I'm kind of in between, you know, maybe mild over pronation. Let's say you get stuck in between what's worked for you in the past. What's working for you currently and uh, I think more than ever, it just it comes back to it's which one is more comfortable now these days. Well, I think that is, is so true. And I think we've adjusted not just our inventory, but quite frankly, some of the 
opportunities we have to work with people while they're being fit to ensure that that comes to the top of the decision pyramid. And you mentioned performance. You referenced minimalism. You talked a little bit earlier in your own personal journey about fashion and style and colors. And all of those things are still part of the mix. No question about it. But for someone who's wondered, well, my goodness, if I've always been in this shoe and now for the first time, something else I'm trying on actually feels more comfortable, they should feel liberated to go ahead and try that new model. If at one point they said, well, I can only wear a stability shoe, but I have to acknowledge I tried this other shoe on that's mild stability or perhaps even neutral, they should go ahead and try it. And one of the beautiful things about Big Peach Running Company is we've got this vast selection and now they're in a place that's hopefully, and in my opinion, always super comfortable great environment for them to try on those shoes and they can say man i didn't think this was going to be the case but this third one i tried on a brand i've not heard of it is more comfortable than anything else i'm going to try it and then if they find out three weeks later this isn't as comfortable as i thought it was going to be it didn't ultimately perform the way i hoped it would bring it on back we'll make sure we get it figured out we have to keep working in that manner that what is going to be most comfortable now that we've kind of set that as a critical maybe even a pinnacle consideration comfort matters. What are some of your manufacturing partners doing to enhance, to increase, to perhaps even change the narrative on what is considered comfortable for people who are putting on running and athletic footwear these days? Oh boy, that's a, that's a big question because, um, that's where people that are making a lot more money than me are spending a lot more money than are we supposed to have the compensation discussion making, right here on air. Yes, they are. Um, the, I mean, the, when you start talking about the amount of money right now, that's going into the research and innovation arms of whether it be a Nike or a new balance or Saucony or ASICs or Brooks or anything. When you think about what's being done and the in the thousands and millions that are being spent um, that's the question everyone's always going to ask themselves and, and probably asking themselves more than ever right now is what can we do to make our shoes more comfortable to more people? Um, the recent trend right now, uh, has been obviously in, I've, I felt like this has accelerated the last seven to eight years and born somewhat out of the minimalism, uh, phase that we saw, uh, 10 to 12 years ago with Vibram is, is making the shoes lighter weight. Okay. No one's going to argue with making a shoe lighter weight. Everyone's going to say, well, you know, do you want your shoe to be heavier? Um, now, with that being said, if the shoe gets a half ounce lighter, but there's a lot more cushioning, you know, that could be a, a situation where, you know, the shoe might become more comfortable. Uh, materials, there's always um, an arms race on finding the best materials. Um, but you're somewhat limited by... The materials that are out there you know we've um you know we went through we started with leather back in the 1800s and the early 1900s and it wasn't even until really the you know the the mid 1900s that we started to even see nylon something that was much more comfortable than leather um but then you you know you get into mesh and then you get in you know, right now we've seen engineered mesh um that has the capability to expand in, in certain areas to make the shoe feel uh more comfortable more uh, to make your foot feel more locked in, but also more comfortable and supported at the same time. Uh, so I, I think, you know, the the big the big question for a lot of the vendors now is actually on the processing side. Like, how do we actually glue this together, or how do we stitch this together? What's that's really um, 
kind of unlocking that is kind of the critical thing right now for a lot of vendors. But you're, I think you're going to continue to see all the vendors trying to shave weight, whether it's a, a half ounce. They're going to continue to try to create midsoles that are uh, less three-piece, two-piece. Uh, right now, the big thing is the ability to make a, a midsole, you know, a one-piece midsole, but then can also have uh, different dynamics, a little softer in the heel, but a little bit more firmer in the forefoot. Because currently, to really achieve that properly, you, it has to be two pieces. Um, so if you and it's not harmonious, right? If you have two pieces of midsole or EVA underneath your foot, uh, so. You know, there's, they're doing a lot of things. Uh, you know, 3D printing um, was a big rage a couple years ago, but you're limited uh, with 3D printing. You can really only do the uppers right now. You can't, you can't use polymers um, uh, like rubber and and, and EVA uh, through 3D printing. That's going to be worthy of being on a shoe. So uh, there's just a lot of ex, you know experimentation out there, and sometimes that stuff doesn't really get shared with you so much because obviously you know. People want to be able to keep those trade secrets to themselves, right? Well, and yet all of our guests and perhaps the marketplace then at least has the assurance from you that it's happening. I mean, I think about, you know, upgraded sock liners, more padding in the tongues, different lacing systems to better accommodate the foot. Certainly, you mentioned the upper now being woven differently or knitted uppers, maybe even have printing to make the shoe itself more fashionable. If we go from what you mentioned, how do we, and they may or may not share it, how do we, and now it's new technology in a version that was just released that didn't exist previously because that's what's supposed to happen with innovation. I think the biggest question people would have, if nothing else, because of the headlines, I'm gonna put you on the spot. I feel comfortable doing so, even if you cannot pull out your crystal ball and give us any absolutes. How do we respond to what's going on globally with production in China, with this conversation about tariffs and where we are, and quite frankly, everybody's own knowledge of what it costs these days for a performance quality pair of current version running shoes. What do you think is going to happen relative to production, and how will that impact pricing here in North America for our guests? Um, I don't see honestly. I, I you know I think this is a pretty pretty simple answer, uh, although simple in ideology not simple in execution i don't unfortunately i do not see production coming domestically anytime in the near future not five maybe 10 years uh unless something drastically changes with 3d printing and the, the their ability to use different polymers um to 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 build shoes there i just so don't see a lot closer do you think or do you think it's just potentially out of China or less in China, but still in Asia? Or do you I, think maybe Central America or South America or even Mexico, or do you think that's not even an option either that's gonna to continue to be on the other side of the world? I I think it's, I think most of the production is going to move to Vietnam. Uh, I think most of it's gonna move into other areas of Asia. Uh, I think a little bit into to Mexico potentially, but uh, there's just, um, you know, the cost analysis to when you start looking at what it would take to bring all that back uh, and what you would have to pay employees for them to take those jobs here domestically. Um, and the consumer isn't one necessarily going to, to pay that type of increase when you start thinking about 30 or 40, maybe even 50% increases. 
Uh, that would be my guess. I just don't think the consumer is ready for what has maybe been their flagship shoe um, for the last, you know, 10 years hovering around 120, now creeping a little bit towards 130 as an average on flagship shoes. Uh, I, I just don't think they're ready uh, for that shoe to go to 160, 170 well, at this a point. a huge price increase. And if you look at it against the cost of living increases, it's, you know, it way 10x, outpaces. 25x yeah. what the cost of living increase is going to be. Kind of kind of matches, you know, uh, health insurance price increases, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that. We'll save that for another episode. Yeah. But so you, at least to the extent that you can kind of share your purview would be that most of the production remains in Asia, even if it's relocated a little bit out of China. Pricing, although not guaranteed to stay absolutely as it is here at the end of 2019, isn't going to see dramatic increases. Manufacturers are perhaps just going to have to be more efficient mm -hmm. in their production and in other parts of managing their business because the marketplace isn't going to tolerate wild price increases. Is that a, a fair overview? I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I think... You will again. Again, we'll see production move out of China to a certain degree. And if they, you know, listen, if a, if a company can, if they have a factory in China and they can move, and they can create a, a build a new factory in another country uh, and move uh, just twenty percent of their production or fifteen percent of their production, that could be all that's needed to offset the price increases uh, with uh, potential tariffs. So you mentioned percentage. I'm going to go somewhere else, someplace perhaps more exciting than thinking about global trade and all of the things that are going to impact where we get our shoes from. So let's go to percentages as it relates to our business and the different brands that are out there. Because one of the things that has been really cool for me to watch, especially watching you individually, is to respond to how many more brands are impacting the percent of business they're doing at Big Peach Running Company than what they were 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, for example, I would say over 90 for sure, maybe 95% of our business was being done by four or five, no more than six brands. Now we look at a big peach running company footwear wall. We look at what we've had the good fortune of putting some of our guests in as recently as yesterday afternoon. And they're brands we didn't even carry. Mm -hmm. Hoka didn't exist. On didn't exist. There was no ultra. There are all kinds of cool things that you see or perhaps things that you're like, man, I'm not so sure that's ever going to get off the ground. But how do you explain the proliferation of product and the proliferation of brands that right now seemingly is being done successfully in and around the sport of running? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I think I would start with um, continued growth in the sport uh, while we've seen, we have, we've seen small growth, uh, ourselves over the, uh, maybe a little bit larger. If you, if you go back to, uh, you know, 10 or 12 years, I think there's growth is certainly responsible, uh, and is allowed for more. Uh, and that's somewhat the chicken, the egg that did new products come along. And then, uh, because it was different, it was, it created an incremental purchase or, uh, was there just this kind of white space out there where it was like someone was looking for something totally different and um you know all, along comes hoka and creates something brand new that people didn't even know they needed right so i think uh i think there's been a lot of um thoughtful product that has come out that has allowed for some of that incremental growth when you talk about hoka nobody was really nobody was doing that nobody was you know and for them to do it at the time that they did is, is somewhat uh, ironic because when, when Hoka launched, 
I mean, we're really in the middle of a lot of conversation about, you know, minimalism and Vibram and people even trying to, you know, just run in a pair of socks. Uh, so, you know, for Hoka to launch and go the other end of the pendulum and, uh, and last those first two or three years uh, was really, really intriguing. But you have to kind of say, well, it wasn't like they were fighting a lot of people for that space. They were really on their own. Uh, and they and they built that business, uh, and we were one of the very first vendors, uh, or one of the first uh, retailers in the country. Uh, I think we were one of For only Hoka? four or five to carry Hoka. We had an exclusive in the state of Georgia before we Deckers did. picked it up. Yes, yes, exactly right. And uh, you know there were you know there were stores in in Michigan and Boulder that had the product, uh, got it about the same time that we did, um, and we were just you know blown away at the feedback. So you know in order to grow. Uh, you have to create something new and incremental and something that, you know, fills a void there. And I felt like, you know, Hoka is certainly one that's contributed. If you go back 10 years ago, didn't even exist. Right. Um, so now, you know, if you look at their business over the last, uh, especially 90 days or 120 days, uh, you know, in some of our stores, they're the number two vendor, um, uh, currently and, and, and number three or number four in a lot of other stores. So we're talking about Hoka, and this isn't a Hoka-specific conversation by any stretch, but I think it does show that, you know, part of your responsibility is to kind of keep us on the cutting edge, and I'll fully admit, you know, one that, that we missed, and I'll take full responsibility for it. When I say missed, I don't think we did a disservice to our guests, but I do believe if you were just going to look at the P&L for Big Peach Running Company at this time, I remember when Vibram came our way with the five fingers, and they showed it to us, and a few of us looked at it and be like, really, is this something that... <laughs> people are going to be interested in and they came to us first because we normally are that retailer that's most likely to take a flyer on something or we were the biggest specialty run account in a major market so they should start with us anyway and we took a pass on it mm-hmm. and the whole thing blew up and you could find Vibrams everywhere from sporting goods to practically CVS probably on an end cap but mm-hmm. by the time they came back and said are you interested it was like it was starting to fall off a cliff and we just missed it. Since then, I don't think we've missed anything. And I credit you for that. I credit our store teams for keeping us informed about what they're hearing from our guests. So in that tradition, what do you think the cutting edge looks like as we go into 2020? What are some of the things that you're really excited about or that you would say is a little bit of a preview of things to come for our guests? Oh, gosh. You know, there's a lot of conversation out there around things like the Vaporfly 4%. And we've offered some of that, but we've even seen from last year to this year when we offered the Vaporfly and then the next iteration, the next percent, that demand kind of um, die off a little bit. If you had asked me that a year ago, I'd have said performance, you know, and I still think performance is probably going to be important. I think there's going to be people that's going to look... you know, for those types of products, whether it's a, a, a vapor fly, but now, and a lot of that is driven by just how much that's in the news right now, uh, because the IAAF wants to, you know, wants to investigate and determine whether these shoes are really uh, are really legal, I guess, you know, sure. because, but they're offered to the market and that's under the current stipulations by IAAF, whether they're available to the marketplace, you know, you can't have something that's not available to to just the average Joe, if you will. Um, and there's been a lot of other products that have responded to that with carbon plates of their own, whether it be the, the carbon X. And I think we're going to see some, um, 
Uh, I can't give away anything, but you know, we're going to see some more of that coming from other vendors here in the, um, in the coming months. So, um, I think performance is one thing that people are going to look for, uh, for their, whether it's, you know, to help them qualify for Boston, whether it's just to just get a PR. Uh, I think that's something that's one area I think people are going to look for, but I, I think it's a very small percentage of our personal business. I think it's, I think there's a lot of talk and a lot of noise, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not going to equate to a, a large percentage of business for us personally. Um, I think we'll continue to see just advancement and comfort and just uh, the, you know, it's funny is, is as long as some of these companies have been around, as long as certain models have been around, it's funny. You still go through a stretch where the shoes just don't quite fit as well as they used to. So I think you're going to see, you know, on some of our flagship models, the continued, um, uh, remodeling of current, uh, current, uh, shoes that we carry. And I think if we start looking pretty much further ahead, if we start saying, well, five years from now, I think that's maybe a better place to answer your question is I think we're going to probably start to see the inclusion of more technology. Um, if we're talking about things that you can put on your shoes that, you know, obviously can record, um, you know, mileage and things like that, but things that are a little bit more, in, uh, a little bit easier to work with, you know, things that'll link up with your watch type, um, type thing. So embedded in the midsole, I think embedded in the midsole attached, yeah, or attached to the upper of some sort or something that's, um, you know, Nike kind of had it, you know, the, one of the first ones, although, you know, if you really want a history lesson, go back and look in, uh, the eighties when Adidas, uh, had a shoe and let's see if I can remember the name of it, it was the, um, micro pacer where they actually put a pedometer on the shoes. So you think about 86 when that shoe came out, like people were already thinking technology in At that my point, shoe. You probably couldn't see the results until you were done with the run, unlaced the shoe, took it off your foot and then pulled the pedometer literally out of the midsole. I mean, it didnn't send it to your wristwatch. I'm assuming at that it point. It was on the upper. So, so if you had good eyes, mm -hmm. you might be able to see it if you stopped at an intersection for a mm -hmm. minute or two. Yep. And then to your point, Nike had Nike Plus. Adidas eventually graduated to my coach and some of the other stuff that was there. And now there's so much technology on our wrist, but eventually it's going to get integrated. I think it's. I think we'll see some form of technology in shoes. And if we start looking maybe 20 years down the road. Oh, man, you're really taking us into the future. Yeah, I think, you know, the the interesting thing will be, you know, what can the technology change about the shoe so you know as we as runners if we go out we're not the same runner from one day to the next one day we're recovering from a long run or a workout or a marathon um another day we haven't run in five days right you know and there's another run where we've been running uh you know uh, less than average amount and we're recovered and fresh so how can the shoe adapt to what we're doing that particular day or how we're feeling or what our routine is or what the training mm -hmm. plan calls for very cool adaptable technology yeah so I, I mean i think that's probably pretty far in the future maybe more than 25 years from now but um i think that's that's really interesting because you know having because ultimately what you know every person wants is a shoe that's somewhat personalized or customized to their 
to their fit, right? Sure. And, you know, we customize a lot or we, you know, we personalize the fit for everyone who walks through our door, but we have to do it through a mass array of inventory. And it's, you know, we're looking at, you know, gait and we're looking at characteristics and we're asking questions about their prior history. Um, so, you know, we kind of take all that and, and put it in the pot and stir it up and, and start bringing out shoes according to those things uh, that they're looking for. So at what point can a shoe become less, you know, at what point can a shoe do all that for you? I think that's something that a lot of people go try to solve for. So you mentioned that personalization is part of the future. I'm going to take you on just a quick rapid fire journey because you are the guru. And I think it's interesting when somebody who has the level of knowledge that you do about anything gets asked about their personal favorites or how you would per- best name of any model of footwear all time. What would you say was the best named model? Oh boy. Cause I, I feel like you're asking that question cause you already know the answer. <laughs> I want everybody else to have the good fortune of knowing as well. Uh, gosh, and you know, you know, it's weird. Like the best name, I think, depends on what you're. Again, we talked about what you want for that day, and I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, but you know, if you're tired and you're injured, I mean, for me, I immediately think about the Nimbus. The Nimbus, so because I want something soft on my feet. Reference, and it gives you exactly what the experience should be before you even lace it up, or certainly take your first couple of steps. Exactly, and you know that that goes back a long way for me when I was with Hanson's and with their Olympic Development Project in the early two thousands. Most of the guys were wearing lightweight trainers, even on our morning daily runs. And I would be out there in a Nimbus because I'm just—I just don't want to feel anything. I want to—I need soft. So uh, for me, uh, I think the Nimbus kind of is a shoe that you know at least comes to mind very quickly. Very, very cool, and certainly is well named. Okay, how about technology? We've talked about things that Hoke has done. I even referenced maybe our fumble with Vibram Five Fingers. There's all kinds of stuff that you're seeing. If you think about technology that has truly been game changing, but also very valid, not just steeped in research, but ultimately was able to substantiate any claims that it made. What's that pinnacle technology that you've seen introduced in the time that you've been in this role? Ooh, since I've been in this role, I thought you were going to say of all time. So if that's um, easier for you, feel free. You get some latitude. <laughs> you are a featured conversation, my friend. Well, I think, I think EVA is, is a game changer that, you know, when you think about EVA coming I believe would have been seventies when EVA first, and there's been different adaptations, whether it came out as a sheet at first, um, then became compression molded. Then we got into injection molding. Um, you know, that's, that's all been, you know, just amazing for the, for the consumer, right? Like it's, you know, more protection, more more protection, more comfort, less injuries. You know, we, we know that that is, you know, we know that without, EVA, you know, without a doubt, there's, you know, people now with that being said, some people, because they've gotten to where all oh, this feels more comfortable, I feel better, I'm less injured, or I'm less hurt, they train more, and then that leads to a different type of injury. So um, I put that more on the on the consumer or the, tr- the person training than the actual product itself causing that injury. Um, but during my time here, I would have to say, EVA injected with TPU has been somewhat of a game changer because that is, that is kind of, that's unlocking an idea where how do we make 
the midsole softer but more energy responsive because with EVA for the longest time those two are mutually exclusive if you want it softer it's just going to be softer but there's going to be less energy return and the opposite is true but when you start talking about something like Ultra Boost, when it came out with Boost midsole, that was really a game changer because um, now there was, uh, with that type of midsole, there was, uh, uh, it was less impacted by heat variability or cold variability. It tested the same, uh, the flexibility, it was more flexible. Um, it lasted a little bit longer. Uh, so I think when you start talking about game changers since my time in the role, and that's been, you know, in the world of footwear, eight years, I would have to say that's probably been the, that was, you know, eight years ago, seven years ago. Um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things that's come out. Knit has certainly been important just because from the way it adapts to the foot shape, uh, and made things more comfortable. And then certainly most recently, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving you several here, but the carbon plate, just because I think it's renewed an interest in performance, which I think is great. All right. So this is a tough question for you because manufacturer partners of ours who listen to this episode are going to say, Joe, I can't believe you didn't include me, but I'm going to do this anyway. And I'm not suggesting that either of us are qualified to give or dispel financial advice to our listeners. But if you had a hundred dollars, and every manufacturer on our footwear wall was publicly traded. And of course, many of them are, even mm -hmm. if not on a domestic stock exchange, they are somewhere globally. But if you had $100, and you don't necessarily need to put the $100 in a stock all on its own, you might be able to split it up. Mm -hmm. Where would you spend that $100? Because I recognize it's not just, well, let's use Nike because it's been around so long. Yeah, that share is going to cost you more than what mm -hmm. another brand might. And it may be that consistency over time is going to yield that greatest investment. Or you may be like, this is something that I know a little bit about. And because of why believing their future is so bright and the stock price would at least conventionally be less than what Nike is, where would you spend that $100 based on all that you know, not just about product, mm -hmm. but also organizations mm -hmm. that ultimately bring running footwear to market? Um I would I would have to go at this point just because I'm thinking about where they are currently and you know their cap space where mm -hmm. they can go. Uh, I think Deckers, who owns Hoka, yep. is probably probably one of the first places I would look, simply because I still think they're very much in their infancy, and I think they're being very well managed. Um, uh, the they've gotten past some of that initial, um, you know, these shoes are, you know, that initial impression when they first came out, uh, that the shoe looked like moon boots, quote unquote. Sure. Right. And, and, and to some small degree, it's, it's somewhat laughable now because that's the rage is like oversized shoes. Uh, I mean, you see kids out on the streets wearing those Fila dino stompers is what they call it or whatever. And they're just like big, massive midsoles. Right. Um, so it's somewhat fashionable right now. So they're kind of riding a little bit of that that wave, and we're start and you're starting to see celebrities over the last year start to wear Hoka. Um, I saw something was it two days ago? Um, Kristen Bell was wearing a pair of I think it was Kristen Bell had a pair of Hokas on, and I think Kanye was even spotting a pair of Hokas, which you know how funny is that? 
Sure, so with you know, Adidas with, with his Adidas background. Well, we so, won't tell everybody they're just obligated to go out and put an investment together for Deckers. For those who are not familiar with that name, they are the parent company for Hoka. They also have a couple of brands you may be familiar with in Teva or Ugg and, Ugg. and other footwear brands that have done well. That's pretty common. Many people don't know Wolverine own Saucony and then of course we could kind of get into all mm -hmm. of this if you think about other things besides you know comfort and technology and innovation but you look at cross your responsibility just to kind of open up your role for everybody to see more clearly what are other things that you're having conversations with manufacturers about whether it's shipping or pricing or back office considerations like invoicing and making sure the POs are input properly. What are some of those other things that would give people a better sense of all that you do for us and quite frankly, for them as well? Right. I, I, will, I will tell you um, the, the easy answer to that, at least this last six months, has very much, my time has been dominated by reacting to some marketplace disruptions, whether it was... Um, not being able to get product out of a DC, not being able to ship on time, not having enough product secured. Uh, that's my time is, is really, I kind of have a, a schedule set out each week where Monday morning we set our, you know, we, the store teams kind of submit their fill-ins and I, I peer over those to make sure we're not ordering something that's about to be updated or something that maybe we're a little overstocked on. I'll make a phone call and see if there's another store that can share. Uh, and then I submit those orders. And then the next day is, is confirmations. And then on a monthly schedule, we're, we're revising future orders if needed. Um, in most cases we can't add to the future. That's, you know, that's a order that's placed six to eight months in advance uh, and it kind of helps the vendor out with their forecasting and, and it, it secures products for us in the same manner. Uh, but we'll, we'll adjust those orders slightly as needed, uh, sometimes adding if that's allowed. Um, that's, and then of course, tracking lots of reporting and tracking, you know, what is, uh, you know, where, where do brands stand uh, with regards to their share, uh, their, uh, their their Gemroy targets, their you know what is their margins, um, what is their uh, overall percent of uh, share of inventory uh, in relation to their uh, share of business, and just kind of tracking that. And if you know if we find something you know that's kind of alarming, like hey this is slowed down, you know this particular brand is slowing down. Why are they slowing down? And it allows me to go dig deeper and say, oh it's you know okay well. You know that shoe isn't performing as we thought it would and can we make adjustments to it but that way we have the best mix for our guests and, and what i'm going to do is i know a lot of our listeners are like oh, i've already got what i need or i already have a solid understanding of what i might need in the near future but we also know a lot of our guests a lot of our listeners have that person they may be thinking about right now who could really use just a word of encouragement that they're eventually going to find a shoe that they're super satisfied with and they just feel like it's almost an extension, mm -hmm. not only of them, but their commitment to a pedestrian active lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So before we go to a break, I think it would be foolish for us not to ask you if you were gonna encourage a friend or family member, knowing all you know about footwear today and to some degree even tomorrow, what would you tell them as a way to ensure that when they walk through the door of Big Peach Running Company or someplace similar, maybe somewhere else, that they should be thinking about because it is, as you have unpacked for us, 
a complicated, ever-changing world. But if they keep this in mind, this that you're going to share, they'll at least be better for it. I would say the biggest thing is always lean back on your local running specialty store because they're going to have the most answers. You're always going to have questions. So don't ever think you're going to go through life without any questions about your shoes. Uh, and that's true for anything. You're always going to have questions about your family, your business, uh, and your personal life. And who do you go to that's the expert in those areas, right? Sometimes, you know, you know, the brain can't solve its own questions, right? So you go to someone else who may be able to advise you in a certain direction. So my thing would, would be always lean back on the run specialty stores. Because a lot of time when people make mistakes is when they think they have it all figured out. So a lot of times you get into a shoe or a certain model and you say, hey, that's my shoe. That's my model. And then you start, you maybe you, you stop going to the run specialty store and you start buying it online. Well, maybe you didn't realize there was going to be a massive update or maybe you didn't understand what's different about that shoe. Uh, and so you got it and then all of a sudden the shoe has changed and you were unaware of that change and you went out the door unbeknownst to changes in the shoe and then all of a sudden there's a hot spot or you know your arch hurts or you got a blister and you don't you can't figure out why and we've seen that a lot you know my time is like oh you know i i got these shoes you know and i've always worn these shoes and now they don't work for me and it was because there was you know more than a five or ten or fifteen percent change in that shoe Maybe there was a, a big overhaul with the last. Maybe they went to different materials. Um, maybe they, they experimented with a one-piece upper when it's always been a two-piece upper, and that changed the, the whole fit of the shoe. We've seen that before. And people were unbeknownst to those changes. So I would say keep a, you know, a close relationship with your, with your run specialty store because that's going to pay off in the long run for you. Um, because you're going to be at least aware of changes in the shoe. And if you can diagnose that on the front end and skip the, the days or weeks or months of injuries, that's going to you know, obviously keep you happier because you're out there on the, on the roads or trails or wherever it is you want to run. Absolutely. That is good advice. Selfishly, I would agree with every <laughs> bit of it. At the same time, he good. is an expert. So take uh, that to the bank. He is Joe you. Gibson, our director of procurement and footwear. And in my opinion, the most knowledgeable resource that you could imagine. Again, Joe, thanks for being part of this. Thank thanks you. for everything you do for all of us. And we will be right back after this brief message. Do your feet hurt? Feel any discomfort in your joints or lower back when you run? Your shoes might be the root of the problem. Whatever your fitness level, your feet should be comfortable and your shoes shouldn't be the cause of an injury or keep you from achieving your fitness goals. Come into any of our seven Big Peach Running Company locations for a free three-step fit process, including a video gait analysis. Our professional fitters will help get you into shoes that fit so you can enjoy running, walking, or any activity that requires you to be on your feet. Our 100% satisfaction guarantee will give you peace of mind if your new shoes don't live up to your expectations. Simply return them. No problems, no hassles, no time limit. We want to make sure you're completely happy with your shoes so you can achieve your fitness goals. Visit Big Peach Running Company today. 
And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast, D2. So cool. I love, if nothing else, when we get our team together, like you said, before we went into that conversation. It's kind of fun for us. We love getting our entire team together. But even when just a few of us can sit down and have a conversation, whether the mics are hot or not, is pretty cool. Yeah. And like I said, you know, at the beginning, it's, you know, Joe's uh, a really smart guy, uh, really knows his stuff about footwear. He's been around the business for a long time. So he's very well respected within our organization, I think outside of it as well. Um, but it's interesting as to, you know, the future of footwear. I mean, that's always kind of like, well, what's the next thing? It's always, you know, people always want the lighter shoe and, and Joe referenced that. Um, but it's also kind of like the new technology and what's coming and, you know, the carbon, you know, fiber plates, like everyone is going to eventually, I think, have them. Um, and they're still, you know, I think priced out of the average person's, you know, price range and their wallet. Um, but I do think the great thing about the advancement of technology is that eventually it starts trickling down. We may see, you know, carbon fiber plates get cheaper and into other models. And, um, I think that right now the biggest controversy around that is, is that they're, you know, some even elite athletes and, and some are considering that, you know, what they're currently doing is that they're offering an unfair advantage because it's, you know, in some instances, the shoes may not be available to the general public. And I think that's a sticking point, but also it's just a question of, is it a performance enhancement, which, you know, it's kind of hard, um, to, to truly measure, um, and when you're comparing to things like doping and other things like that, they're saying, well, that's cheating. So is, is wearing a specific shoe that, you know, has new technology cheating? That's debatable. It's controversial. And, you know, I'm sure our audience has their, their thoughts and opinions as well. So if you want to share them with us and let us know, email us at uh, podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. That's awesome. That's an awesome reminder as well. And certainly would love to get those thoughts. So do not hesitate to send them as we send you off for just two weeks. I will give you one more very timely reminder, friends of ours, November project. It is indeed mid-November. By the time you're listening to this, they have an expression we love around here. Just show up. It does get more difficult for all of us as daylight wanes, as temperatures drop. So do not let it happen to you where all of a sudden you show up next spring not as fit and as in shape and ready to go as you could be. November Project ATL, for those of you who are not familiar with them at all or what the November Project is, november-project.com. There are cities across the globe. Obviously, you'll want to drill down into what's going on in Atlanta, but as some Cliff's notes for you, 627 a.m. on both Wednesday and Friday. On Wednesday, you're going to meet us at the North Avenue Bridge right there on the east side of the Atlanta Beltline. On Fridays, you'll meet us at Grady High School right there at the intersection of 10th and Monroe. The November project keeps us all after it all month, all winter, all year long. Just show up. And D2, you and I will do that as well. Of course, in two more weeks, we'll be back. As always, thanks to you for everything you do. Again, a special thanks to Joe Gibson for joining us on this episode. And most importantly, thank you to all of you for tuning in. You make this so worthwhile. We appreciate you so very much, and we'll see you again very soon. In the meantime, may your best miles be those covered on foot.